0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. Hayden, buddy, lots to get to today. Lots happens when you only do two podcasts, two shows every single week. Lots of stuff going on behind the scenes with new content coming your way very, very shortly. But most importantly, how are you? I'm doing good. It's glad I'm glad to be back doing football
1: research stuff. Got a couple hours today to do that and we have what only <laughs> a third of the league is out of a job, so let's
0: talk yeah. about it all. But you and I are very much in a job. So that is the most important thing. But yes, let's open this conversation, this podcast with everything that has changed throughout the league. I believe at least right now there are 7 Head coach openings and potentially one more on the way, depending on what the Las Vegas Raiders do after this weekend of football. This is in no particular order, but we want to go around the loop here in what they call the coaching carousel. Maybe the best place to start. New York Giants. Joe Judge out after two years. We know that Dave Glederman, quote, retired in that tenure with Joe Judge. He was 10 and 3. His record in 2021. Four and 13. What is notable for me, Hayden, written on December 26th, Adam Schefter, quote, New York Giants plan to bring back Joe Judge Daniel Jones for the 2022 season, sources say. Ever since that contest, a 34-10 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles, a 29-3 loss to the Chicago Bears, and closing out the year 22-7. Things change quickly in this league of ours.
1: It wasn't just the on-field performance, which was absolutely brutal. It was the entire course of the season. I mean, Kadarius Tony and Kenny Galladay not scoring a touchdown. That's bad news. Their backup situation was brutal. So you have to put a lot of the blame on Dave Gettleman. But I think what really did it was there was two things that happened since that article was published. Number one, he had that 13-minute rant where he was either lying or whatever he was doing. It sounded very bad, and it made him sound... Like he had no idea what he was doing. And the second thing, the confirmation on that was the second and long and then the, the third and nine QB sneak, uh, the, the last week to set himself up for a punt, which was just, I mean, absolutely comical. So they made the right decision to get rid of Joe Judge. I think a big picture thing, I like when teams clear house general manager and head coach. It makes it pretty tough if a GM's about to get fired and he has one last. Hoorah at the head coaching spot because all the head coaches are smart enough to be like, well, I'm going to be out of here when the GM's out of here. So it's, it was right. best to fully reset. Joe Judge did not deserve another chance. He arguably didn't deserve a chance in the first place. And the Giants record was
0: just absolutely brutal. And it was a shock the first time he was he was hired. I mean, I think he was what the special teams coordinator yep. for for the Giants goes and steps in there. It just felt like another interview that a team has with a, a new name that's in the circuit. Yet, you know, the Maras were apparently thrilled with him, shocked at how well he went out there and interviewed and yeah, they, they, they hired him. Um, Combine that with Dave Gettleman and how he has kind of lost touch with how to build a roster and how this team was built. It's going to be a totally, totally fresh start. Moving forward here for the Giants, but is that a good thing when you have so much invested in so many places? Like with Daniel Jones, that would be a shock if that turns around. Saquon Barkley, massive contract, and it already feels like he and Devontae Booker had the same amount of production as we move forward. And then, as we have ta- talked about so many times, Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Tony, zero touchdowns between them. This season, this is a team that for so long was so consistent in their success. But, you know, in the McAdoo era, ever since then, now with Joe Judge, it just seems like they haven't been able to hit on something consistent and something has to change quickly in order for it to turn around because I think this roster is pretty damn bad.
1: It's bad in their 29th effective cap space next year. 29th. How did they spend this? Like, what the hell was Dave Kettleman doing here? This is like... I can't believe it. But I think this sums up uh this ownership group. It might times might be passing them up a little bit here. And I think the big thing, like you said, was th- the reason why they hired Joe Judge in the first place was not because of his background. There was people with better backgrounds than his. It was the interview. And I think that when these owners get sucked in, they overweight maybe the three hours that they spent with them rather than the, I don't know, couple decades Uh, before that that's when you make big time mistakes and this kind of feels like what's happening with matt rule i think that matt rule might be on this list next year but these kind of two paths feel a little (laughs) bit similar and they were connected like you said in the first place but that's kind of where i'm sitting here with the giants it's not it's if i was ranking this this might be the job i would want the least out of all of them
0: and i believe ownership was a heavy hand in getting jason garrett Along the yes. way as the offensive coordinator, which I believe has been reported since then, I believe the Maras also came back, came out and said that their plan, as we have heard and we'll hear with some of these others, is to hire a general manager, and the general manager will pick the next head coach. NFL.com has an awesome list out there, an awesome tracker so far. It's Carthon, it's Ryan Calden, it's Quentin Harris. Uh, Quentin Harris, former safety in the NFL, bunch of names here, Ryan Poles, Joe Shane, Adrian Wilson, former safety out there with the NFL as well. So, again, they have been doing these general manager searches, lots and lots of work to do. But at least, hey, they have an extra first round pick here, the Giants too. And if we let's not forget our Breer recent conversation on, you know, halftime of Sunday or Monday night football suggested Russell Wilson. This is a location for him to end up. And that again would change the potential pathway for the Giants here in the near future. All right, jump to the next scene. Miami dolphins. Brian Flores has been axed after three years in that tenure, his record 23 and 25, including 2021. He was nine and eight. Oh man. This one was the shock of the firings that happen on the Monday morning after week 18 of the NFL season. To simplify it the most, Hayden, at least from my perspective, we know that ownership, we know that Chris Greer, the general manager, Chris Greer has been there, I think, for at least two decades. The ownership selected not only Chris Greer ahead of Brian Flores, but Tua Tunga-Vailoa, the quarterback, over Brian Flores as well.
1: So – Reading the tea leaves here, I think Brian Flores was the one that did not want Tua, at least after this year. Arguably, he didn't want Tua the entire time. There were some, some reports that Flores was on Herbert over Tua, which you got, got to take with a little grain of salt because obviously this is hindsight analysis, and obviously you'd much rather have Herbert. But I do think this sums up ownership believed Chris Greer's story, and I think that story was hey, we weren't wrong about Tua. Let's keep grinding with this. So I think that this changes like the Deshaun Watson uh, uh, trade talks. I think everything Massively. gets blown up. But I think that this was just the wrong move by the Dolphins ownership. Brian Flores has elevated this roster, a roster that has not been good for a long time. And I thought he was getting more wins than this roster would indicate. I know he's kind of a hard ass and that might rub some people the wrong way, but this guy was single-handedly Winning ball games like there were some times I was talking about that Jared Goff game. I will never forget this game uh, two seasons ago where Flores basically won that game himself just by scaring Jared Goff. He is one of those elite defensive minded coaches. And I think that he's probably the number one head coaching candidate out of all the people on the list. He's going to get a job somewhere. Um, I think he deserves a job. And I think that this just kind of sums up the Dolphins ownership group is just not one of the strongest. I think that's really going to hurt. Them in the short term and the long term.
0: Yeah, let's not forget in that first season, Brian Flores took over a Miami Dolphins team who everyone thought was just tanking, like potentially one of the worst rosters that we had seen in the last decade or two in the NFL, and was able to crawl them to five and eleven that year. The next year, 10 and six. This year, nine and eight. That that is overperforming. And I get what you're saying because it, it seems like there's some, not some hindsight, but some hindsight reporting in that, oh man, he's not the easiest to get along with. Look, I've read the tweets from players. I have listened to Chris Long and his show. I've listened to what, you know, some of Peter Schrager has written and said as well. So many players love Brian Flores. So this stuff about him being difficult to work with. That is clearly not from like a coach to player angle. It's a coach to front office angle. And we know so much about general managers and why they stay in their job so much longer than head coaches is because they're, they're kind of yes, man. And I think Chris Greer has probably done some things well and some things not, but the owner at the top, the one thing that they have control of is the quarterback position. When you draft someone in the top 10, when you go out there, potentially trade for a Deshaun Watson who has been linked hand in hand with Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphins during this time. It is very clear. And from from those close to the organization after this move was made, that the lightning rod, the signal point here was that Brian Flores and really his treatment for Tua last season ultimately culminated in this moment. And I'm with you. I, I think Brian Flores is not out of a job For long, the other angle of this, though Hayden, is that this Dolphins team was kind of built in his vision, right? Like every team, every team cares about cornerbacks. It's one like the pillar positions in football. But when you go out there and hat like pay Byron Jones, pay Xavier Howard, you know draft Noah I in the first round, draft a couple safeties as well. The heavy emphasis on what Brian Flores' scheme, which worked really well when it was healthy this year, and we talked about last season. It's going to help, obviously, that talent, whoever comes in, but it might not be utilized to its ultimate point like it has been under Flores.
1: Yeah, they need a man-heavy defensive coordinator again. They also need to figure out this co-offensive coordinator situation. So I think Flores was just kind of put in a difficult spot, and I think that he was probably being very real with both Chris Greer and the Dolphins' ownership group. That, too, is just not that dude. And we we can argue if he's a a fair assessment. Yeah, he he's probably a top 20 quarterback, but I think there's very real concerns after two years that it's very slim chances that he's going to be a top 10 quarterback. And Brian Flores was like, guys, we we have the wrong dude as our franchise guy. And they probably just didn't want to hear it because both the ownership group and Chris Greer obviously were on team Tua. And I bet Flores is being very real about that. And they decided they don't want to hear that. And they're going to stick to their guns.
0: Yeah. I think he's had three or four different offensive coordinators during his time here with the Miami Dolphins. In fact, I think it took the beat writers until about week nine to know who was exactly calling plays with with the Dolphins this season. I remember thinking back and looking back on the post-draft press conferences between Brian Flores and, and Chris Greer. And I'm not saying there was tension between the two, but maybe more than 31 other teams across the league, nothing was said. In these moments, especially Brian Flores, who was stone faced in them, Um, because each of the last two years, we all thought like, oh, they're going to get J.K. Dobbins in the second round. Oh, they're going to get Javante Williams in the second round. And on both occasions, teams traded up to the spot beforehand to get both those running backs. That was finally brought up this past April or May. And Brian Flores just like let out a sigh of frustration. Like it is what it is. We like the guys that we got. So on and so forth. I mean, this is not a complete roster. It has in fact, a lot to do, especially along the offensive line and at the quarterback position, but man, what this more than anything to me opens up is the conversation with Deshaun Watson. And as always, we need to bring up 22 civil cases are out there with lawsuits right now. In fact, two are alleging sexual misconduct, sexual assault, but it had firmly been in the radar of Deshaun Watson to the Miami Dolphins this entire time because of that no trade clause. It was so clear that this is where he wanted to be. And reports since have linked it because a main factor in that was Brian Flores as head coach. And now, if the Dolphins are out because they have sided on the end of Tua Tunga then this opens the door for all the teams that either already got denied, like the Carolina Panthers, like the Philadelphia Eagles for Deshaun Watson, or opens up far more possibilities, the New Orleans Saints, the the Denver Broncos, the New York Giants, who hadn't been the sweepstakes already, plus wherever potentially Brian Flores ends up.
1: Yeah, I think Brian Flores is going to be somebody that on their second go-round, they're going to learn from their first experiences. There's so much to work with that I can see wherever he ends up at, this is going to be a a long-lasting hire. I think very highly of Flores. And if there was a couple little things that he regrets, maybe treating some people a little bit nicer, putting a smile on his face a little bit more, and that's the only difference. Like If that's literally the only difference between... Uh, what happened in Miami in his next spot? I think that he is going to have a great bright future, and uh, I think he's probably the number one candidate for most for most openings.
0: I think that's a great point on him rebounding at his second position. It's not from the win loss column. It's not for the you know players loving him, but I think you know when you get that opportunity for your first head coaching gig, there's only 32 of them across the league, so you just jump at the chance. But then when you the second one rolls around. You probably want to take your time, make sure you're, you know, surrounded by the right people and especially ownership and have a great relationship there, and probably take your time in finding the one that makes the most sense. Yeah. I like that call. Okay. Next up, we've gone from a two-year head coach, a three-year head coach, to now an eight-year head coach in Mike Zimmer and the Minnesota Vikings. He was fired, as was around 15 years in the GM spot. Rick Spielman.
1: This was, I think, deserved that this team just needed a reset. There was so yeah. much drama with this team over the last couple of years. I think a lot of it was coming out uh, in the last month or two. Um, Obviously, but like the Steph dig stuff, uh, even Justin Jefferson this year was getting mad at, at Kirk cousins, Kirk cousins and Zimmer had one of the weirdest celebration things at that. Remember at the end of the one game where it looked like they were about to fight each other, but I couldn't tell if they were celebrating or not. That was all weird. They needed a reset. And I think that this, This job opening is very interesting to me because I think you have Kirk Cousins, who is a probably top 12 to 15 quarterback. He's under contract. I know it's an expensive one-year deal, but if you wanted it to commit to him, I think that is doable. That's a better quarterback situation than most of these openings. And if you wanted to trade him for and completely reset, I think you can get some some decent draft capital in, in return. That would save $35 million in cap space. So I think that this is a good ownership group brand new stadium it seems like that they are willing to commit to their gm and their and their head coaches for a long lasting time and at least you have some superstars on the roster i know it's an an older defense adam thielen's paid a lot of money same thing with dalvin cook it's not perfect but i think that you actually have some options just because you have kirk cousins under contract i know that sounds absolutely disgusting to a lot of people but kirk cousins is a top 15 quarterback and that is hard to find under control. So I think that you either keep them or you can trade and fully reset. And I think that's going to be up to the GM new
0: new head coach. As you pointed out, this one felt a little different than the others because, I mean, eight years as a head coach. What a run. What a run. That rarely happens in the NFL now. And, you know, a decade and a half as general manager, that's incredible. And they had to navigate so many different waters. Like, remember just a couple of years ago, Teddy, you know, his, his knee blows up during training camp. Then they immediately go and trade for Sam Bradford. Shortly after that, Case Keenum leads them to the NFC championship game. You had the Diggs, Stefan Diggs meltdown and had to handle that entire fiasco. You go and draft like I think they had three first round picks one year with Cordero Patterson and Xavier Rhodes and a few others. I mean, what a run it is has been for Spielman. And it almost ended. With him taking a massive, massive chance at the quarterback position as well. Plenty of smoke this past April was him wanting to trade up into the top 10 to go and get Justin Fields. Potentially, maybe that would have extended this window. And instead, you know, they settle for Kellen Mond, who didn't even step in in the lone starting possibility he had this season. And then with Mike Zimmer, you know, defensive coordinators, especially of that age it's rare for them to be like this successful as he has been over his last few years. I mean, 71, 56 and one during his time as head coach here, but it hasn't been perfect smooth sailing for him offensively either. You're like the John Filippo, you had Norv Turner. Then I think they prevented Kevin Stefanski from getting interviews as an head or an offensive coordinator somewhere else. Um, Now, you know, it's Clint Kubiak, Gary Kubiak's son is OC, his own son, Zimmer's son, is, is on the defensive side of the ball. Massive, massive changes here for the Minnesota Vikings, a team that has had so much really stability over the last decade.
1: Yeah, I think whoever takes this job, they're at least starting on first or second base. It's not a complete reset, and you're in control of which direction you want to go. So they should hire the GM first, and then that GM should basically commit to Kirk Cousins or a complete reset and then get the right head coach involved but i think that the ownership group for the vikings seems way more stable than a lot of these and i think we always talk about it It starts at the ownership level and then you can find your gm and head coach and quarterback from there and at least they have some of those pieces involved and maybe you just get lucky and aaron Rodgers gets so mad then he leaves and you're in the division with the bears the lions and then uh uh, aaron rodgers list packers so those are like the benefits of this job i see I see more pros than cons to this job. It's not a perfect job, but I think it's one of the best jobs out there.
0: Yeah, and I don't know if this list is totally up to date here, this tracker, but they are, again, one of these teams that feels like it looks like they're at least interviewing general managers before hiring a head coach and they want to do it in in that order. General managers across the league, it's impossible to know anything about no them idea. because the only people that have positives or negatives go against them in these decision-making roles is the head coach. And the general manager, we know nothing about the director of player personnel, director of college scouting, none of it. The one name, though, that does jump to mind is Elliot Wolf, because I remember when when Brian Gutekunst got the GM job with the Green Bay Packers. I think everyone believed it would go to Elliot Wolf because there was so much history with his family. And that organization, and I think almost immediately after that, he decided just to up and leave the Packers because he thought like, hey, if I'm not going to get promoted to the GM job, then what am I doing here? I'm going to go try and move on with a different organization. Um, Yeah. Eight years, man. Mike Zimmer, and we know he crushes it off the field as well. He's not one of these types to me, and he's what, like 70-something, close to it? 70, but only only attracting Only on paper. O- only on, on paper. 10. Yeah, <laughs> my God, I, I I don't know, and maybe I'm wrong. Could you see him popping up as a DC? Like, if he wants that, it, he'll get a job. It's the Wade yeah. Phillips type scenario. I think.
1: I think it is interesting. There's a lot of young, offensive-minded uh, head coaching candidates that do not have any experience. If you can be a Brian Leftwich, and then you get Zimmer as your defensive coordinator, or Vic Fangio as your defense coordinator, I think that's if I right. was trying to fill a spot, that's the direction I would go. Give Kellen Moore or Leftwich a shot, Dayball a shot, and then fill them in with a Zimmer and Vic Fangio that can help them out with the head coaching stuff. And you don't have to worry about that side of the ball. You know you're going to have a well-executed defense.
0: Yeah, that that is the Sean McVay bringing Wade Phillips with him to yep. the Rams formula, 100%. Okay, also, staying in the same NFC North, we have the Chicago Bears, also letting go head coach Matt Nagy, general manager, Ryan Pace, we know during his time, Matt Nagy, 34 and 31. It all ended with a record of 6 and 11 here in 2021. Uh, So much has been said about really both of these pieces for years. I mean, Matt Nagy has been the one that we've kind of all been waiting for, for for this to happen. Um, They had, you know, trading up for, and this is the combination of the two, trading up for Metro Trubisky. That being a complete roller coaster, but still going to the playoffs with him at quarterback, then wanting to upgrade and believe that they could like push the team forward. Then you go out inside Nick Foles, that tanks, that bombs, and then you go and spend even more money, $10 million on top of that with Andy Dalton while also going and drafting Justin Fields. So this was inevitable. What's your view of either the tandem here or the bears, wherever you want to take it?
1: Well, I just think, think the current Bears infrastructure is what is most important. And that interview that they just had, that press conference, did not go very well. And then you get the report that Bill Polian, who's 79 years old, is helping the search, which probably doesn't matter. But I don't like how that's being leaked out as something that's like, oh, trust us, like Bill Polian's here to save the day. Um, and there, I think if you can pull this up for us. I think that they're interviewing a lot of head coaches and not as many general managers, or it seems like they were prioritizing one versus the other. I'm on team. Start with your general manager. They need to be uh, hiring the head coach and make sure they're on the right page there. So this is a I can see it going both ways. Like, obviously, you have Justin Fields. I think that we think at least there's a potential that he can turn into a superstar. The floor might be a little bit lower than we, what we'd like. But the Bears also have the uh, their 11th in effective cap space for next year. Eventually, they're going to get out of these old contracts that they were plagued with for the last couple years. So there is a little bit of a refreshing element. But I think that if you're the Chicago Bears, the priority here is Justin Fields. And you have to, I think, go for an offensive-minded coach. I think that this could be a spot, Brian Dayball, Akellen Moore, one of those types to come and fill this void and then figure out the defense after that.
0: Brian Dayball makes so much sense. And I'm not you know, necessarily comparing Justin Fields and Josh Allen, but what we'll, we've seen Brian Dayball do so well is allow for chaos for his quarterback to win on his own, on extended plays, also rein him in and build a passing scheme around him because what Brian Dayball is calling with the Buffalo Bills is very different than what Brian Dayball called with the Alabama Crimson Tide, and you have a quarterback that is multi-tooled, one who is an incredible runner who Matt Nagy really didn't utilize until, you know, Laser, Bill Laser took over and he was able to actually, you know, call some design running plays for. Yeah, that that George McCaskey press conference, I mean, it felt like I was back in 2001 listening yeah. to this stuff. Uh, nothing has changed. It's sapped. Every ounce of optimism potentially that any bears fan could have. I mean, it shriveled it. It absolutely shriveled all of it. It just felt like guys saying, I'm not a football. I I can't evaluate. And then we're just going to bring in, like you mentioned, old Bill Polian, who the game is passing by, who hasn't been a part of organization since 2011. But on top of that here, Hayden, we have, you know, Matt Nagy, who had red zone problems, this year was an historically bad passing offense. When everything went right, it was his doing. When everything went bad, it it, it wasn't his fault. Um, and at the final point of that, in the press conference, McCaskey mentions that, like, oh, we're definitely going to hire a general manager first and then a head coach second. But as you pointed out, they're interviewing both simultaneously. So you're lying to our face. Yeah. It's just...
1: It all feels pretty bad. This is definitely a very much Justin Fields, please save the day. And if that's what it is, you ha- you have to go over a Doug Peterson, a Brian Lethwich, a Hackett, Brian Dable. Those are the coaches that they are interviewing that are on the offensive side of the ball. I think that's probably the best way to look at it. But I can see them going old school and just going uh, a veteran Todd Bowles type to get this team under control. But I didn't did not like that press conference uh, one single but This is one of the more old-school organizations in the league.
0: Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Nathaniel Hackett. And again, it's, it's kind of tough to know about sometimes these OCs who aren't play callers when the head coach is calling plays. So I was listening to Peter Schrager talking about Nathaniel Hackett. And he calls him like one of the most interesting men in the NFL. Like, has an engineering or science degree. I don't know. It's some nerd stuff. Uh, also t- like taught rap classes as well players absolutely love him uh that's all behind the scenes we know nothing at the forefront but apparently like aaron Rodgers and company just think nathaniel hackett is one very personable they like him as a person because he has off field interests but also believe he he understands the game at a at a very very high level but i'm with you if i could put odds on this brian dayball makes so much sense just with the skills and talents that he's already been harnessing with the bills and what the uh what the bears offer up who have some pe- I mean, have, they have some pieces, man. They really do.
1: They have like a piece and a half. I think There's okay. this, it's, it's, they have, they have opportunity. I'll give them that.
0: Okay. But like in comparison to the three teams that we talked about, the giants, the dolphins and the Vikings, I'd rather have their quarterback situation than any of the others. Yeah. I would agree there. Okay. A yeah. couple more Denver Broncos have fired Vic Fangio after three seasons, 19 and 30 during his time, record in 2021, 7 and 10. Uh, This is a job that you're going to consistently hear about this offseason with the quote, they are just a quarterback away. Um, Vic Fangio, one of the best defensive minds out there. And while they trade away Von Miller, while Bradley Chubb hasn't necessarily lived up to top 10 billing because of health potentially, they were, again, a pretty damn good defense this season when everyone was on field. He has sparked this tree of, you know, Brandon Staley and company picking off of it. Vic Fangio now goes into the to the oblivion of of defensive coordinator jobs, but, man, he might take some defense to the moon this offseason.
1: I completely agree with that. If you have a DC opening, Fangio should be number one on the list. He was just too conservative as a head coach, and I think that's what ultimately cost him – his job. I think that this is probably the most attractive head coach opening. If not first, it might be second. They have the eighth most effective cap space going into next year. Obviously most of that is going to come at this quarterback spot. I'm guessing, and they have a, a a GM who seems like he knows what he's doing and he's under contract for a long time. I think most people really respect this organization. I know there's ownership uh, stuff going on in the background, but I think that this is a very functional um, team And I think that they're just going to come down to all these head coaches is who is, who are you bringing in at quarterback? Who are you connected to? Who could you get on the phone with? And I think right now, Dan Quinn is the leading candidate. I know that seems like it's kind of like a Vic Fangio, just like the newer version of that, but I'm guessing they're going to say, Hey, do you have any Russell Wilson connections that you can bring with us? And whoever your offensive coordinator is going to be, that person better have some connection to uh aaron Rodgers per se because it seems like those are the two please we can win a super bowl if russell wilson or aaron Rodgers comes i think that's gonna be their first goal but i think there's so much smoke with dan quinn coming from albert uh or um albright and some other beat reporters in, in denver i think it's ultimately gonna be him and i i can see it kind of working
0: which is a little puzzling because so often and you can take so many examples over the last five years when one Head coach doesn't work. Ownership then looks to the opposite end of the spectrum, even from a personality standpoint. I don't know. Let's take a gap here in Rex Ryan to Sean McDermott. Couldn't be more different personality wise, even though they're both defensive minds, or they go from a defensive mind to an offensive mind. So, but Dan Quinn might fit the same exact conversation as we just talked about with Brian Flores. You know, people loved playing for him in, in Atlanta. I mean, he talked about aggression, speed, explosiveness. They had really good runs there in Atlanta. It almost got to like the Mike Zimmer situation where it was just time to move on and, and time for a change. And we have seen Dan Quinn change his style a little bit more than he did with the Falcons. we talked about that in a little bit with, with the Cowboys in their game this weekend. And one final thing that you mentioned, there has been a lot of turnover with this Broncos organization recently. I mean, John Elway, a figurehead here, no longer, has say in the player personnel department. They bring in George Payton, who I should have brought up with the Minnesota Vikings. He had been with that organization since 2007, would have been easily just a nice in-house replacement for Spielman. And instead now is a GM of the Broncos. And it just happened like this week where the Broncos are now allowed to sell the organization to another owner. And so a head coach might come in under new ownership who doesn't get to pick this head coach. And then what is that owner going to do in the next one to two years? So there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that might make it, I don't know, iffy in a couple of years when we look back on it.
1: Yeah, some of the, the national reporters say that's not as big of a deal as we might think it would be. So that's it, it's impossible to know from the outside. But I, I do think it's going to be interesting. If it is Dan Quinn, and I think that he should be the favorite, he's connected to Russell Wilson. George uh, uh, Peyton is connected to Kirk Cousins. I think the leading candidate for the OC, if it is Dan Quinn, it's one of the Packers assistants. Then okay. you have a connected to Aaron Walker. So it seems like there's be like, all right, we're going to surround this group with people connected to the quarterbacks that are going to elevate. If they strike out, I don't know what they're going to do. Cause they are just sitting in a spot where they're in the same division as freaking Patrick Mahomes and Justin right. Herbert. Like it's a very tough spot, but I think that Dan Quinn would be somebody that, you know, you're not going to come in last place ever. He seems like a, an effective, uh, at least a high floor coaching candidate, even if he's not the sexiest
0: name on the list. Yeah. Once you're a quarterback away, you have to nail that quarterback, you know, or you're kind of back where Vic Fangio has been for, for the last couple of years. Okay. News today, Texans fired David Cully after one season, David Cully just hired last year, only received two years guaranteed on his salary of a five-year deal. I believe Uh, This is a job that no one wanted last offseason. I mean, I had never even heard of Dave Cully, who was, I believe, the past game coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens. Is that correct? Yes. A passing offense that we had a lot of questions about during last season. With all that said, David Cully overachieved, man, where he, where Tim Kelly, who he was forced to keep, as offensive coordinator, despite him being on Bill O'Brien's staff, because of the offense he had, you know, grown around Deshaun Watson, David Kelly overachieved not only on the field, but I think handled the Watson situation off the field extremely well.
1: Yeah, he he knocked it out of the park. It just seems like they just don't see a ceiling with him, but I thought Tolley did an excellent job. They got rid of Kelly as well today. So they're fully resetting. We have reports coming out that Deshaun Watson is not going to stay with this team, even if it was Brian Flores, who they're obviously connected to. He wants out. So this team is fully resetting. I thought that they, they handled this year as best as they could, but they still have ownership problems. That's not going away. Oh, no. And we had some reports that Casario was on the headset in practice and on the games. This dude has a lot of power. It seems like they're going to go after Jared Mayo, who obviously is a plugged in New England team. So they're trying to become like New England South. We'll see how they can do that because every single time Somebody tries to replicate what Bill Belichick has done. It's failed miserably. So we'll see what they can do. They're 20th in effective cap space. Obviously, it's all going to come down to what they're doing with Deshaun Watson. But this probably is going to be a first-time head coach spot, I would guess, and it's a fully reset. And then we have to get into the discussions. Do they have their quarterback in Davis Mills? Are they trying to find a rookie? Are they trying to bring in a Jimmy G replacement? This team, this is not a very good head coach opening, in my opinion, with so much... Of these questions,
0: uh, unanswered. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned, Gerard Mayo, according to Adam Schefter, seems to be the leading candidate here, uh, Gerard Mayo, who only took over as an NFL coach, I believe since like the 2018 season. I mean, it's, it's fairly recent here. Yeah. 2019 as a coach, he was on television with Tom Curran and Kay Adams in the new England era. And apparently, he's just knocking it out of the park up there with the Patriots, and basically just gets promoted every single year. And look, with Easterby, who you brought from that organization, the Nick Casario a year later, who you brought from that organization. Unfortunately, this was just inevitable for for David Culley, and uh, like you outlined, there's a lot of work to do with Houston. They are trying to replicate exactly what it is, but those kind of seem like two—I don't want to call them odd birds. Easter B and uh and Casario, but the roots of that, the foundation of that team, uh questionable at the very least, is probably the right way of putting it. But again, there's only thirty-two of these jobs, and especially when when Mayo, who's an up and coming guy in in this role, I mean that that would have to be exciting for him.
1: Even the worst jobs are highly paid jobs. You know, like David yeah. Coley, they, they did him dirty, but he, I'm sure he's really secured the bag. So somebody will be filling this job. I'm guessing it's going to be a first-time head coach. There's just too many, too many unknowns and here.
0: It, it actually sounds like Pep Hamilton might be promoted from quarterbacks coach into offensive coordinator here as well. They just don't know what they're doing is the bottom line. And now they are trying to build and start the program and the process in the Patriot way. Um, Okay. We also have the Jacksonville Jaguars. We've known this since halfway through the season, looking for a head coach, just going to bring up some of the names here. I think everyone in Duval would be very partial to Byron Leftwich returning. Um, There's been some rumblings from those who cover the team closely that Bill O'Brien might be the favorite here. Uh, Now, obviously the offensive coordinator of of Alabama. Um, any thoughts here on some of these names, Hayden?
1: Yeah, I'm rooting for Byron Leftwich. That would be somebody I would like to get a job this time around. This is just such a bad spot for the Jaguars is because nobody wants this job. I think like Dan Quinn and some other the, the top coaches aren't even taking interviews here because they have Trent Balkey as their general manager still. And like that is just unacceptable. Nobody wants to work with this dude. You rarely hear such negative reports about somebody in the NFL, but I've, I've been hearing them every single podcast I listen to. It's somebody taking yep. a shot at this dude. Um, there was a great clip on Twitter. I'm not sure if you saw this, uh, some fan, they were doing a trivia <laughs> sh- show and there was like a B or C. And she said, C fire bulky and the entire home stadium went absolutely nuts. So shout out to her. That was one of the best things I saw last week. But yeah, basically summing this up, this ownership group, it's not strong. They are retaining this general manager. I can see them firing him at this point because they cannot get the the top coordinators. So you basically, there is just one person and it's just Trevor Lawrence. Whoever wants to come with, work with Trevor Lawrence, you're going to have to deal with a lot of these other issues, but somebody will be able to do that. And if Trevor Lawrence is as good as we think, if, as long as they get the right offensive mind in here, you can work with a bad GM and ownership, but it's just, it's so tough. Such a huge pros and cons uh, opening right here.
0: Yeah, I'm still so epically optimistic about Trevor Lawrence. I have been all year long. I understand he is far from perfect. He made tons of mistakes this season, but on some level, I don't think he's been phased by any of it, which to me is like a, a major indictment of the player that he is in a positive way, if that makes sense. Um, Tough skinned and like he just keeps a like, good head in his shoulders. And when you can na- navigate such like treacherous waters that no one had been set up to fail like he was this season with that situation. Um, yeah, I felt so bad for that in stadium host who had to just go on and carry out like nothing happened when someone just told you to your boss should be fired. Basically,
1: <laughs> at least that stadium was half empty. So not that many people heard it.
0: So, Oh, that's good. Um, and maybe in a couple of days, we'll have some news in Las Vegas Raiders, obviously rich Passaccia, um, that could change this weekend, even though the team is playing really hard for him. And there's some OC jobs with, you know, the Carolina Panthers and I'm sure some other teams as we go along. But that's time for another show. Thanks for letting us do that. I, I really like the team building aspect, the head coaching and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure they'll be a part of the conversation once all these teams actually hire, hire that and we can look towards the future with them. Okay. Here we go, Hayden. It's time. Let's do it. Let's break down the six games of the weekend, and we start off with the Saturday contest, and that is the five seed Las Vegas Raiders go to the four seed Cincinnati Bengals, favored by five and a half points here. A total, the last time I checked, of forty nine. The Bengals haven't won a playoff game since nineteen ninety one. No, free Hayden Winks last time the Bengals won a playoff game it's been 2002 for the las vegas raiders a combined 50 plus years between these two teams they did play earlier this season a 19 point victory for the Bengals. i actually think the scoreboard though didn't indicate how tight that game was though hayden
1: yeah we're at least getting two relatively healthy teams here darren waller played 89 of the snaps josh jacobs is seems like he's going to be ready to go. I think for the Raiders, there's basically two ways that they can keep this game tight. Number one, Derek Carr just balls out of his mind. I think he's an underrated passer. He is good enough to just carry his team, especially if Darren Waller is back. There are some on-off splits with Darren Waller. Uh, Derek Carr is averaging 8.1 yards per attempt with Waller on the field. That's definitely uh, really high up the rankings. The second way that they can pull off this upset is Max Crosby just wrecking Riley Reef's backup. The Bengals have some on-off splits without Riley Reef as well. So those are like basically the two pass. If those don't happen, this Bengals team should just cruise. I think we should obviously be talking about their neutral pass rates and the defense of the Raiders trot out. But I think the only way is Derek Carr's got to step up, Max Crosby's got to step up, and that's basically the two only pass I can see the Raiders from pulling off this upset.
0: Yeah. I mentioned that it was a 19 point victory for Cincinnati when these two teams played earlier the season, but really Cincinnati scored a touchdown to make it 22 to 13 with just five minutes left. It was on this really long 12 play drive. I mean, it was 16 to 13 at the start of the fourth quarter and in that game. And it's a conversation that we have had for so many weeks. And I, I understand if the listeners are fed up with it, but it's How much is Zach Taylor going to allow the Bengals passing offense to do in this game? And I think part of that conversation, at least we have a game to look back on here, Hayden, because in this game, they had zero explosive plays in the passing game, at least through the air down the field. Joe Burrow was 20 of 29, 148 yards and one touchdown. I believe Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase and T Higgins combined for less than 100 yards in this contest. We know Gus Bradley, this Raiders defense, loves, loves to play cover three. And that can kind of become zone and man on the outside, depending on the routes, obviously. So from that standpoint, I know what you know. Joe Burrow did against the Ravens twice this year. But that's a different defense than this one. We know where to get against the Chiefs. We know the final two weeks of the year, he combined for like 900 passing yards. I don't expect that to happen in this game. I expect them to do what works and what works here is going to be these longer and longer and longer drives and take those two or three shots with the hopes of those hitting. Like in that first contest,
1: I see the Mingles offense a little differently than you. Okay. I see this as a complete fireworks show if they want to do that. And that's simply just keeping up with the last two games. They have the two highest neutral pass rate games. If they continue with that, their EPA per play and all it going to go through the moon. They're fourth in EPA per pass, 22nd EPA per carry. If they choose to pass the ball, they can do that. It just comes down to that Max Crosby uh um matchup on, on the right hand side of the offensive line. If that if they can handle that, I really like the Bengals chances. Just as a reminder, Joe Burrow's first in yards per attempt at 10.8 against single high defenses. The Raiders are first in single high defenses. So you have okay, the okay, burrow.
0: Why didn't they do it the first time? Because they did it the first time against the Ravens. They didn't right. do it the first time against the uh, against the Raiders.
1: So I think there's a there, like you mentioned with the Ravens and the Raiders, they're both single high defenses. They're not exactly the same defense. I do think that we this could be just paying attention to the small samples of those deep shots a little too much. If any one of those deep shots that we were showing on the graph, are completed we're not really talking about this i think this is like okay. a fade the one one game sample um but i think there are differences like I, th- I like the ravens matchup more because that is like straight man defense the cover three stuff is a little bit different some of the principles still apply so i still want to be betting on that if the Bengals pass the ball a ton and take their shots downfield i really like their chances if they go joe mixon heavy and max crosby starts creating some chaos then i think you can come into some of the upset stuff but if i was going to bet on the spread i think i like the Bengals plus five i like this as like a t- uh, one touchdown uh spread um with the Bengals taking control the other thing is the raiders just played a billion snaps on they sunday did. night football they're playing their early contest uh across the Not country fair. it's it's rough <laughs>
0: Um, the Raiders defense has an NFL high 33.6 quarterback pressure rate and NFL low 14.4 blitz rate this season. It's really not just Max Crosby who gets an even f- more favorable matchup in this game versus Riley Reef, who he faced off in that first contest because Isaiah Prince is having to fill in for Riley Reef in this contest. And as we saw on that Sunday night game, and Gakwe can beat one of the best left tackles in football and Rashawn Slater. So he can do that against Jonah Williams. Probably. Yeah. I mean, the biggest advantage that the Raiders have in this game is their edge rushers for, versus the Bengals tackles in order for them to win. They have to hit that It 100% has to work. And both of those guys are, are absolutely just relentless. And I do want to bring up the Raiders here in conversation with what they did in that first game, because they only had one third down conversion in that contest. One Darren Waller, who we have seen do very, very little in the past few weeks. Obviously, he just returned here in week week 18. 78% snap rate. Did have nine targets to his name, but I think just around 22 or, or 30 yards. He had 116 yards in that contest. Darren Waller, to me, for the Raiders to keep it close offensively, as Hayden gets back to us in a little bit, he has to be the difference. And what we have seen the Raiders do this year is isolate him man-to-man in some situations. We see him motion out far left as really an X wide receiver, ask corners who line up or safeties line up one-on-one and they can do whatever they want there, whatever they want. I hope Darren Waller is close, close to 100% health because if he is, like to me, I'm looking at the pick of lines right now and on underdog, he's at 56 and a half receiving yards. 56. And a half. If, again, you believe the Raiders can keep this to 10 points, to 7 points, heck, cover that five and a half, Darren Waller is going to absolutely need to hit that over 56 and a half receiving yards because he is the X factor, the key player, the one they can line up in isolation and ask him to win. Hayden's still not with us. That's okay. It's also Derek Carr's first playoff game, Joe Burrow's first playoff game. It's crazy to think that it is uh, Derek Carr's. First playoff game. Okay. I'll let Hayden fix everything that's going on his end and we'll move on to the next game. That is the New England Patriots, the Buffalo Bills. The Bills are the three seed. We know Patriots are the six seed. The Bills are favored by four, total of 44 in this contest. We all know what happened in that first game. It was abysmal weather, it was cold, it was windy. We got crack toss. We got G lead. The Bills finally asked Josh Allen to pass in the second half. Just wasn't enough for them to win. The second time around, Hayden, Josh Allen made big plays in the biggest moments. He made plays constantly, one-on-one. And let's not forget, this was the Isaiah McKenzie game. Crossing routes galore, on route to you know 11 receptions, a touchdown. How do we think? The Bills are going to attack the Patriots defensively this time.
1: Apparently, they're thinking about taking a bunch of Viagra to help themselves in the cold (laughs) weather here. It's supposed to be like five degrees at night, so that's like the first main storyline that we're going to keep hearing about. I think it's not going to be the Isaiah McKenzie game. I think they're going to go back to the Boomer starting lineup. Emmanuel Sanders is fully practicing. Cole Beasley was their slot receiver ahead of Isaiah McKenzie the last game when they were trying to win. So I think it's going to be Devin Singletary, the backup or the, the bell cow with Steph Diggs, Dawson Knox, Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley as your base three wide receiver sets. And then Gabe Davis will sprinkle in a little bit. Um, if, as long as the weather is not a big problem here, you got to like what the bills chances are there. There's upside just much higher than the Patriots. This would have to be a, either a very big Damien Harris or a very big huge Mac Jones week and Both teams are so well coached. I think that you just have to say Josh Allen, when he's playing like an MVP quarterback, there's no way the Patriots can win. If Josh Allen craps himself, then maybe, but I think that he's earned enough respect uh, for the bills to kind of move
0: on from the first game. I think we can kind of throw away that first game. Like if anything, what we can take away from it was that the miracles Josh Allen was even able to potentially throw in that contest. Um, The second game is more meaningful to me. And again, in that game, 47 passing attempts Josh Allen had. He had 12 carries, zero interceptions, zero fumbles, only one one turnover-worthy play. Devin Singletary, who we saw come along towards the end of the season, had 12 carries for 39 yards, but also those five catches for 39 yards. There's, there's those dump-offs inside the, the structure of the offense. Again, I can't get over what Isaiah McKenzie did in this game. And I understand he's probably not going to play in this game or play this big of a factor. But to me, this outlines how the bills can be so successful in this game. Cause it's all crossing routes. It's all mesh. It's all over the middle of the field. And it's man beaters galaxy brain thought it didn't take me long to get here. Hayden Cole Beasley. This is not his game, not his game. So if the bills believe in Gabriel Davis, this is what they should do. Gabe Davis on the outside, Emmanuel Sanders on the outside, and allow Stefan Diggs to be the one to move around. Stefan Diggs to be the one to work over the middle. Stefan Diggs to be the one to beat isolation and man coverage. I know in some places his receiving total, his prop is at like six and a half receptions. Give me the over on that one.
1: And on underdog fantasy, his receiving projection is at one yard. So that's why you got to come use us. We don't have to worry about six and a half. If you're betting six and a half on the over on other places, what are you doing with yourselves on underdog fantasy? It's at one yard, basically a free one. If you haven't tried pick them, this is the opportunity to do it. I paired it with the Mike Evans over initially. I know Mike Evans prop is up. You can find a line somewhere out there. Maybe it's the Cole Beasley under like Josh is implying here. But I think they're like you said, they're, it should be a pretty man heavy defense. Um, I know that they played some zone and that's when Devin Singletary caught a lot of passes in this last game. But I think that game was the evolution of Josh Allen summed up. Yes. He was making a couple massive plays on that uh, fourth quarter drive, a lot of fourth and ones uh, where he was making plays happen. But I think the first half of that game was just staying com- composed and hitting these Isaiah McKenzie crossers yep. and the Devin Sing- Singletary checkdowns. That was not happening in year, year one and year two. And that's why I think this Bill's team is like very legit. And then there's a tier ahead of the Patriots. Um, So unless the weather gets completely out of control, I like the Bill's chances here.
0: And and it was that crazy, like fourth down conversion where JC Jackson, and I think it was Jamie Collins, like got him in the backfield and he almost swam over them and, and got to the first down marker. I mean, it's controlled chaos. It's pedal to the floor always with Josh Allen and uh, so simplified the analysis and the evaluation, but it all rides on that here on the offense. And it always will. And this year for a lot of it, it's worked for some of it. It hasn't last year. It worked for the entire season. So we talked so much there about the bills and like their pathway to victory. Is there potentially a way that we can outline it for, for new England? And we saw what they did, you know, in, in that first contest, it was crack toss G lead, the Bills just didn't have a stop for it. And that's where Damian Harris and Ramondre and Brandon Bowen had all those long plays. It felt like they wanted to carry almost the same exact formula into that second contest. And in fact, there were times when they just had an isolated receiver on the outside Nikhil Harry and had like an extra offensive lineman in the formation. And, it, and like the Bills put nine in the box and the Patriots are like, OK, we're still going to ask to and try to beat you with our blocks and hope, you know, our explosive plays come from that. And it didn't work nearly as well.
1: Yeah, I think Mac Jones is going to have to make some plays, and that's going to require a Nelson Aguilar or somebody else to step up. I think they're obviously going to be a very balanced, probably run heavy offense to start, but I think you're facing Josh Allen and this a wide receiver group that's healthy, and Devin Singletary is healthy, and this offensive line is mostly healthy. I know they just lost an interior player. I think they're going to have to score points. I think that's going to require some crazy Mac Jones drive, which I'm not ruling out. I think Mac Jones is a totally fine player, and he's been making some throws uh, near the sideline. Um, but it, once again, five-degree weather. like That is yep. beyond cold. I think I would die if I was out in Buffalo.
0: Isaiah Wynn is not a lock to play. He's held down that left tackle spot for most of the season. Uh, we've talked at length about Matt Judon and how his play has declined, and Christian Barmore is kind of questionable for this game. As well. So some impact players. The Patriots have trailed by double digits at halftime in three of their last four games, Aiden. Yeah, not great. Only did that once in the first 13, 13 games there. Um, yeah, interesting. And by the way, as we close out this one, that Stephon Diggs one receiving yard line, it's a special line. Okay. You have one special line that you all can use for the entire postseason. This week, it's Stephon Diggs. It's a free square. You can use it. In a five pick 'em slip, in a three pick 'em slip, if you want to. The max when you include Stefan Diggs in there is $25. But basically, it turns a pick five into a pick four if Stefan Diggs has one positive catch. And that's it. Right. So that's what we are doing. Again, there's going to be those throughout the entire playoffs. Once you use it, you cannot use it again. There we go. Use All it right. early. Come on. Have some fun. Use it early. Have some fun. Okay. Let's jump on over to Sunday. Those are two Saturday games. We have three on Sunday and we start off in the NFC. The Philadelphia Eagles, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are the two seed and eight and a half point favorites in this game. Last time I checked total of 47. I want to start on the Eagle side. Is that okay with you? Do it again. Potentially no team changed more this year than what Philly did. They realized, Hey, our offensive line moves all defensive linemen off the ball. Let's use that with our running quarterback and with our stable of, of backs. Now, we also talk about Tampa Bay. Vita Vea is the difference maker, maybe in the NFL, at stuffing the run. But if you run away from him, teams have had some success in the later halves and portions of this year. It is a styles Make fights contest between the Eagles and the Bucks. What do you want to talk about?
1: I just don't like that style in this matchup. You know, that's <laughs> the problem. It's just the freaking Bucks are just so, there's just so much leadership. And I think like what Todd Bowles did against this Jalen Hurts offense in week six, they held Jalen Hurts to 115 passing yards on 26 pass attempts. They're getting Shaq Barrett back. It sounds like Levante David's going to be playing. They obviously have Vita Vey and the rest of this squad. So it's just, I know the Bucs were limping in the last part of the uh, in, of December, but they're getting most of their bodies back um, on defense. And I just it's just hard to see the Eagles really bowling this this Bucks defense, like another defense, like maybe you can do it to the Rams or something like that. But this is just the one where it makes it more difficult. So Vegas has this as a nine point spread. I agree with that. I think that the Bucs should take care of business. And I think that they just match up so well on both sides of the ball, not just on, on defense.
0: Yeah. Levante David being back is, is absolutely massive. I'm, I'm with you. And on the other end, like we talked about it in the Tuesday show, hopefully you all tuned into that one. We had a fun time ranking and tiering all of the playoff teams with what we thought had the best chance of, of winning the super bowl. I made this comment of, I just remember back in the first half of the season, everyone getting on Jonathan Gannon, JG, his case, the defense coordinator, first year, For the philadelphia eagles saying like oh your scheme is so vanilla all that kind of stuff in the back half we hadn't heard anything about it well chris sims my buddy um outlined why in the back half you know they faced teddy bridgewater trevor simeon daniel jones zach wilson garrett gilbert jake from taylor heineke and then dak prescott who obviously shredded them in the second half of the year sorry to mention so many names there but i wanted to outline why we all had that opinion here in the first half of the season it's because top quarterbacks were hyper efficient against this defense. Dak went 21 of 26 with three touchdowns. Patrick Mahomes went 24 of 30 with five touchdowns. Then they faced Sam Darwin and got a win. Then Tom Brady went 34 of 42. Derek Carr went 31 of 34. Then they faced Jared Goff and got another victory. Then they faced Justin Herbert, 32 of 38. All those top quarterbacks shredded them and they lost every single one of those contests. The key for the Eagles to stop Tom Brady is to get him you know, out of his flow to confuse him a little bit. It helps when you have an incredible offensive line to put a blanket around you and prevent a wall of really good pass rushers that the Eagles have. And so to me, it doesn't matter if he doesn't have Chris Godwin necessarily or Antonio Brown be a big boost if he did. He doesn't. He can still dice up the secondary.
1: I'm with you. They still have Gronk and Mike Evans, and their wide receiver depth compared to some other teams is better. Um, there's no Chris Godwin replacement, but obviously Tyler Johnson's better than some other backups. And I'm with you. The If you watch the Eagles defense, I know we haven't heard uh, from their players. This, te- this team still plays a lot of soft, off coverage and just cover two, cover four, over and over and over again. And Tom Brady's seen this probably a million times throughout his life. So even without his his second and third receivers or first and second, however you want to rank the Bucks receivers, I still see them just absolutely shredding this defense. So um, I thought the Tom Brady, and Mike Evans numbers were too low on our site. I think that they should cruise here. I would not be surprised if this is like 31 to 20 or something like that.
0: Yeah, as you can see, Tom Brady's at 281 passing yards in the pick'em lobby. Leonard Fournette's right around hundred total yards. Mike Evans at 76 and a half receiving yards and Gronk all the way down there at uh 56 and a half. And I'm sure we'll put up some other players as the lists and the inactives come out on Saturday.
1: Leonard Fournette is practicing. Uh Arian said that he looks fine. Ronald Jones is not expected to play. This is full blown Lenny in the playoffs. And I think he's basically not going to come off the field, even with Giovanni Bernard uh, back. So the only risk here to me is an in-game setback. But going into this game, you would have to give him an 80-plus percent uh, snap rate, maybe even literally 100%. I think it's going to be Lenny season.
0: Appreciate everyone who is here. We have finished three of the six games. The viewers, all season long, you've been incredible. I know you're all subscribed. If you're not, like the video, subscribe down below. I was so, so amazed at how happy I was when I only had to prepare for six games versus 16, Hayden, that I kind of overprepared for all these, so it's a longer show than we were expecting. So I apologize, but I appreciate everyone tuning in, especially those of you who listen to us on the podcast feed as well. All right, here we go. Maybe the game of the weekend. San Francisco 49ers, Dallas Cowboys, three versus six. Cowboys favored by three, total of 50 and a half. Hayden, this is the only game this weekend between the two teams that haven't played each other at some point this year. Um, I can't wait to watch this one because you get two alphas, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, premier wide receivers against the real weakness of the 49ers at their cornerback position. You also have layers and layers of Kyle Shanahan and Dan Quinn working with each other in Atlanta and all the sorcery and tricks and magic that cow can pull out of his bag here for the 49ers offense.
1: I was surprised to see the Cowboys only projected for 27 points. They average way more than that in the regular season. And I've liked what Dak Prescott has been doing the last couple of weeks and they get Blake Jarwin back. They can win in multiple ways. I think the 49ers can really come at you um, with Nick Bosa up front, but just looking at players on injured reserve, it's Michael Gallup on the Cowboys and a bunch of random depth pieces on the 49ers D Ford, McGlinchey, Kinlaw, Jason Verrett, like those are some p- pretty big names that we don't have uh, on the 49ers side. So I can see pass to the 49ers pulling off the upside, but I think that the Cowboys have more superstars available. And I think the yeah. secondary storyline for me is Jimmy G had an excellent game last week, but and they gave him an injection in the second half. And that seems like when he was throwing, he had the best passes. That first half, there were some fluttering footballs and oh, yeah. he didn't throw that ball downfield very often in this first game. So if this is an opportunity for them to kind of game plan and make Jimmy G have to win over the top and stuff, I don't know. I think there's there's this thumb issue. I'm totally not over it. I think that there could be some limitations still. Um, So basically everything else has to be flawless on the 49ers side.
0: Got it. Yeah. I mean, this 49ers team, they went through so many health issues on both sides of the ball all season long. And here we are now in the playoffs and they're, other than you know, the hand, the thumb injury for Jimmy, maybe the healthiest they've been on the offensive side of the ball all season long when you have Debo and is at the doghouse and George Kittle out there who hasn't really been a huge factor in the receiving game over the last two, two weeks. You get Trent Williams back after week 18. You get Eli Mitchell in the backfield. Again, Kyle Shanahan's going to know Dan Quinn really well. I understand Dan Quinn has changed some of his stylings and schemes since his day's With the Falcons, it certainly helps when you have three freaks up front and Demarcus Lawrence, Randy Gregory, and especially Micah Parsons. But Kyle's going to throw some things out there that are so different, so unique. And when things don't go according to plan, you have guys who can win after the catch and win in isolation and win because of their pure talent and athleticism is better than just about anyone else out there. I, I am a little nervous if we get one of those Dak Prescott games where early on he's air mailing throws or he's missing throws. Cause we've gotten a lot of those this year. Since that calf injury feels like it's been inches, sometimes feet from being like a near perfect performance from Dak. We've only gotten one or two. It feels like in the last half of the season, but then the opposite is true. Like if he's on point, it's over you. If any teams can stop this Cowboys offense.
1: Yeah. They're just way too good. Like if Dak Prescott's really ready to go, this team has as good of anybody's chance to just completely wreck teams. So I kind of like the over, um, Ooh, cause I can see both. the too. Yeah. I, I can just see the Cowboys just absolutely going crazy against this 49ers defense, a, a good defense. They're always well coached and all that stuff, but they're just, they're missing some, some pieces, uh, in the secondary. And this is not the team to be missing some pieces against, especially at home for the Cowboys. Uh, the other note, 49ers offensive line has been extremely hit and miss this year. They've been very efficient despite it, but I'm a little bit nervous that this right side of the line for the 49ers is just going to get pieced up by this defensive line for the Cowboys. I think that's probably the the primary mismatch, maybe the underrated mismatches. I've been watching the, the, the right guard and center. It's just been been kind of brutal at points and at right tackle too. And then Trent Williams himself, he should be back. He's practicing but he's been dealing with an elbow injury that caused him to miss some time too. So right. that's maybe the last ingredient is how well is this four ers offensive line going to be able to hold up?
0: Yeah. And now again, that Gregory and Lawrence are out there, we've seen Micah Parsons be utilized against those interior offensive linemen. And if they can isolate him with, I think it's Darren Brunskill at, at yes. right guard. And bad. that, that is the position where when you need a, a, a play to make the difference in the pocket, that could absolutely be where it's from. Uh, I I told you I was going to do a little homework here because again, Brian brought us and some close people to the Cowboys organization have been a little bit nervous of Kellen Moore more so than like the national infatuation with him. And he's getting head coaching opportunities out there right now in terms of interviews, I did a little bit digging. Won't tell you where I got this information from, but really it comes from, Defenses are starting to drop seven against Dak on a consistent basis. They are not blitzing him and he's just having a lot of issues with it. And to them, that isn't just going back to Dak Prescott. That's also going back to, to Kellen Moore. And they just like have not been able to generate any like yards after catch opportunities from a lot of those, those situational players to me, like, Again, it goes back to missing by inches rather than the offensive play caller's fault because if those all hit, then to me, we would not be having this conversation and any hint of negativity around the Cowboys offense right now.
1: I hear that. If the situation is there's the defense is playing them very soft, well, this is one of the few offenses where I'm convinced if they want to run the ball, they can run the ball effectively. Now, it seems like Pollard and Zeke, it, like they have these injuries, but like every running back's injured. I feel like they're capable at this point. And if they're going to be teams are going to play them very soft and teams have been, or the 49ers have been playing very soft to the point where opposing offenses have been running the ball against them at like top five rates. You, this could be a game where just like, okay, fine. We'll just bulldoze it right over your face. And they were one of the few teams we always talked about this. They're so versatile on offense because they can run the ball and they can pass the ball. And if that's what the case is, maybe they takes one game for them running the ball super efficiently to kind of figure out the rest of those
0: problems. I mean, we have a ton of lines up for this game, as we should. Again, many people believe it's the game of the weekend. Just looking at it and what you can pair with your special line of Stefan Diggs, Debo for total yards, total yards at 92 and a half. Brent Nayuk at 50 and a half receiving yards. George Kittle at 51 and a half receiving yards. Look, one of those players is going to go off. Yeah. Off. So figuring out that one is important on the Cowboys end. We have Amari Cooper and CD Lamb, both at 69 and a half receiving yards over under in the uh, in the pick'em lobby. OK, let's close out with the final game on Saturday. Man, this weekend's so good. Pittsburgh Steelers, Kansas City Chiefs, Chiefs favored by 12 and a half here. They're the two seed, as we all know, total of 46 and a half in this game. I'll keep this analysis and projection simple. Uh, if the Chiefs execute on the easy plays, they win this game, you know. Like you take the completions and the carries that defenses have been really wanting to give you all season long in order to prevent those big plays. That's all the Chiefs need to do in order to win this contest. Because to me, the only way that the Steelers can keep up is if they allow and get them from TJ Watt and Cameron Hayward on kind of these extended plays where Patrick Mahomes tries to make something down the field, these big time throws that aren't necessarily there. And you get sack fumbles from, you know, TJ Watt, who is absolutely relentless on the outside.
1: If the chiefs don't blow out the Steelers, my prediction was wrong.
0: It's just as simple as that. Like Like,
1: they should just absolutely steamroll them. Just injury updates. Najee Harris hasn't practiced on Wednesday or Thursday because of an elbow injury. They are saying that it's all going to come down to his Friday participation. That would be pretty bad news on the Steelers front. Tyree kill practiced, uh, Travis Kelsey practice CH was limited and then went DNP. I'm sure they're just kind of keeping um, him just a little fresher going into this. Daryl Williams limited both days. So this might be a little bit of a committee. We're going to have to learn more uh, on Sunday evening on that front, but I'm expecting this just to be Tyreek Hill game and Travis Kelsey game and just Patrick Mahomes taking care of business. This there's there's that they're they're ready to get all the, the in, in middle of the season struggles. I just don't, I just don't buy him anymore. They they figure yep. that that out. And Andy Reid is ready to go and throw back all those weird design plays. I think he I think he was saving those.
0: Yeah, and, and the Chiefs crushed them earlier this year, you know, and that was without Travis Kelsey in that game. Uh so adding him and his, you know, 72 and a half pick em line here this weekend is is pretty meaningful. My one question is like you have one of the best run-blocking offensive lines in the NFL for the Chiefs against statistically the worst rushing defense in the league. You have CEH, who got one practice in so far this week and then has been sitting on the sideline since you mentioned the questions around Darrell Williams. If they play to that advantage, with they have at points this year, who's going to benefit? Like Who's to our benefit with that? And will we not know until the inactives come out potentially?
1: I think we'll learn more on Friday, but if Daryl Williams is going to be inactive and or we just get good news about CH, I'm with you that they can run the ball on the Steelers if they want to, especially if this game gets out of hand, they'd start running the ball with CH to close things out. So, I'll be paying attention to the CH pick 'em uh line. And for NFL playoffs best ball, I think that's worth monitoring as well. The Gauntlet where I got 30 30 more percent to fill over there, um I think that CH is probably a little bit overvalued because of Recency bias with Daryl Williams. I think Daryl Williams injury is probably more significant than Ch's at this point point. Um, yeah. And every being, being drafted basically right right after each other. And I think I like CH's chances down the stretch
0: one final thought: and why the Chiefs Defense gave up some big plays to obviously the Bengals and, and a few others is because they leave their corners and in, in isolation a lot and we know Jamar Chase was just able to go up there and win his matchup one-on-one uh one, Ben is not gonna be able to evade pressure, and get the football out to those matchups as often as other quarterbacks have been able to, unless it's the primary read and the defense dictates that. And that's when he unleashes it to Chase Claypool down the field. But again, on paper, that should be Chase Claypool's way to win is contested catches. And he's at just 49 and a half receiving yards in the uh in the pickup lobby.
1: And they are playing Chase Claypool again. He's not riding the pine like he was uh In early December so yeah I think that If the Steelers are pulling off this Upset they need like Chase Claypool to rip off a Huge play like I think
0: that's has To happen all right Primetime game that's a Monday Night oh a Monday night playoff game Because you know we can't just have this and Leave it to the weekend Hayden we gotta I might I might Go to this game I might go really Maybe. We'll see wow Wow well I mean Rams last week had a home playoff Or home game against the 49ers and it was like 70%. You see that Matthew Stafford do a silent count? You see that? Yeah,
1: and his his wife has a podcast and is yelling at Rams fans for to not <laughs> sell their tickets to Cardinals fans. So I'm not going to tell you who I'm rooting for if I go to this right. game. I don't want to be a biased media guy,
0: but I'm, let's I'm see thinking if, about going to this game. We'll see. Let's see if we can figure it out here. Okay. To me, the pressure is all on the aforementioned Matthew Stafford here. The pressure is also on Sean McVay. The pressure is on Les Snead. I mean, when you think about the entire offseason, it was built for... This moment, as they hit the playoffs, one, Matthew Stafford has never won a playoff game. Granted, it was all previously with the Detroit Lions, but that's a fact I want to lay out here. You go all in with him. You take the team to the next level by improving the quarterback spot with the arm, with someone who can make plays outside of structure, off script, when pressured, activate all the eligibles, all the lovely phrases that we've heard all season long. And it doesn't stop there. You add pieces along the way in veterans like Von Miller and Odell Beckham to take it all the way to the top. Will it be enough against a feisty, at times this season, Arizona Cardinals team?
1: I'll call them feisty. I also call them pretty banged up. I I looked into more of the J.J. Watt stuff. He was very limited in practice today. Even if he plays, I would be highly skeptical that he is J.J. Watt. Out there, Robert Alford's not coming back anytime soon. James Conner was working on the side. Uh, Rondale Moore and Chase Edmonds were back and practicing. But then Rodney Hudson was not practicing today. So this Cardinals team has so many uh injured players. I think that's like the first thing to kind of figure out. We have a couple more days before we have a better glimpse into that. But I think that they're going to be pretty banged up. And the Rams, for the most part, are healthy except at safety. But this Cardinals team doesn't really take advantage of the safety matchups all that much. It's the horizontal raid for crying out loud. So I I think I like the Rams' chances here. I know there's a lot of pressure on them, and Matthew Stafford has a lower floor than most of the other top 10 quarterbacks. But this team still has just so many weapons to use, and I think that if Rodney Hudson is out for the Cardinals, which I'm not exactly projecting, but he didn't practice today, like Aaron Donald against backup center, like that doesn't sound very fun to me.
0: Yeah. Looking back at that first game, again, it was a 37-21 for the Cardinals. They started 4-0. I believe we posted a a podcast clip that night saying, man, the Cardinals and Cliff Kingsbury, they're really coming around here. It's because of like, I think Chase Edmonds went crazy in that game. Looked super slippery. Yeah, he did. He, he went 12 for 120. Even James Conner had 18 carries for 50 yards and two scores. They had 40 carries in that game. 40 carries for 216 yards. And two scores. You mentioned the horizontal raid. Yeah, it kind of has to be that way now. Kind of has to be. Without DeAndre Hopkins, you can go out there and win his isolated matchup one-on-one. And we know that things kind of changed for Jalen Ramsey throughout this year, where he started as the robber in the slot, all that kind of stuff being close to the formation. Then when it got to like the real deal period of this calendar year, this season, he went out there and like shadowed and followed a lot of number one wide receivers. There is none. For the Cardinals, he yeah. doesn't have to go out there and and mirror and and travel with DeAndre Hopkins. He can do that with Christian Kirk if he wants to, or he can be tight to the formation, do that with Zach Ertz, or in like third and twelve situations or in the red zone, he can go out there and match up one on one with AJ Green and jump ball situations. Um, yeah, I mean the Rams again. I'm more, I'm more interested, and I'm not rooting for chaos here, because I, I I love this Rams team at points. But if this doesn't work, if this doesn't work after again, building for this moment, that would give me maybe the most interest out of the outcome of this game.
1: Twitter would just be absolutely a mess. Like, I mean, we get a Ben Baldwin chart for sure. The Matthew Stafford takes regardless of the outcome will be outrageous. Maybe I need to go to this game. So I'm not on Twitter. I can go smell the rose out to listen to the discords. That's going to happen. Uh, minor note, cam makers, Sony, Michelle, Last week they got Cam Akers involved. It was great to see him out there. I think it's one of the biggest accomplishments of the NFL season. Is Cam Akers coming back—you never see running backs come off uh tornicules. What he did was a huge accomplishment. With that said, I don't think he was ready. Like he was out there. It's cool that he was out there. He did not look like the same Cam Akers to me. Obviously, a very small sample. Um, I'm expecting this to be Sony and Michelle's season. I think that they were testing to see what Cam Akers could bring them in a game that didn't matter all that much. And I think that Sony and Michelle. 80% plus. Um, I really like him in best ball. I think that Cam maker is going to be his backup. And if they're using Cam Makers, that is probably pretty bad news for the Rams in general here.
0: Yeah, I mean, Sonny Michel was barely used in that first game, which was a loss against the Cardinals. He was a 20 carry back in the second one. I believe that was one of the times when you and I realized, oh, Sonny Michel's going to be quote-unquote, the engine of this offense because there was like a third and two or a fourth and two where he was hit two yards in the backfield and was able to gain another you know, four yards on top of that to convert something that Daryl Henderson could not do. So yeah, he made a difference and Odell made a huge difference. Again, that first game, Van Jefferson had the most receiving yards on the team. You fast forward into their 30-23 win to take them to nine and four. Cooper Cup goes 13 for 123 and one. Odell 677 and one. Jefferson, 258 and one again, all three hitting the touchdown mark. This Rams team is a bit more balanced right now, and the only time it really hasn't felt that way. I mean, Matthew Stafford is making bad decisions and bad throws and also getting pressured when some of his offensive line were missing out.
1: Before we log off, I want we have to either pick one underdog out of these six games or we can predict that all six of the home favorites are going to win. Do you have an e- either an, a straight-up underdog or ro- rolling with the favorites? I'm going to go out there and I'm going to say all the favorites win. I kind of just like all the matchups for hmm. these home teams. Obviously, they're always they're better okay. rosters, if, but I also just like their individual matchups.
0: If you had to pick an underdog, which one would you pick? I think I'm going to go I, the 49ers of the group.
1: Yeah, I would either go the Cardinals or the 49ers,
0: yeah. personally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll go with the Benji, and it's while your internet was uh, having a tough time over on the West Coast. Uh, This is going to sound crazy, but at least Darren Waller is going to hit over his 56.5 receiving yards, and I think he might hit the Benji of 100 in this game.
1: I can see it. He was out there 89% of the snaps uh, last week, so it just takes a little bit more time for him to get acclimated. They're certainly going to need him, and the matchup should be totally fine for him.
0: Yeah. And again, he had 116 yards in that first matchup and they isolated him one on one on the outside. And he is the difference at as a pass catcher on that team. They have no one else that can like, hey, we trust you to go and make it happen. Hopefully he's healthy. Hopefully. My okay. Benji's
1: my Benji's Mike Evans. That matchup's just oh.
0: well, went on a limb there, Hayden. Okay. Appreciate everyone. Thanks for being here. Uh, I guess we'll see you on Tuesday. We were gonna do a show on Monday, but there's a, a game on Monday night that Hayden might be going to. So Maybe we see you on Tuesday. Again, all of you out there, it's actually a big Monday because Tyler show, the Trill Weather Show, go and find it in the YouTube platform and the search bar. That starts on Monday, the 17th, noon to three. It's going to be full on Tyler. Just funny, comedy, Trill Whiskers, stuff I could never even do. So hopefully you all enjoy it. We'll be prepping for it this weekend. All right. For Scampers, for Fantasy Dog, for Chris, for Cairo, for all of you in the chat and listening at home. Up the Villa, everyone. Talk to you soon. Have a great Super Wildcard weekend. See ya.